All right, everyone. Welcome to In Session. It's week six. I'm Cameron Dodd, filling in for Colin McGuire. And I'm joined by Danielle Gaines. Hello. And we have Kelsey Luce on the line. Kelsey, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are courts treating you? Oh, it's, you know, never a dull moment, I suppose. How are things down (laughs) in Annapolis? Busy, busy. Well, uh, it seems like there was a lot going on this week, so let's just dive right into it, shall we? Kelsey, I understand that on Valentine's Day, there were some special visitors there at the State House. Uh, some good boys and girls, maybe? <laughs> you know, tell yeah, us about that. <laughs> there were some very good boys and girls. Uh, the Humane Society was down for their legislative day on Wednesday. So they brought in some beagles and some other, uh, some service animals. And they brought down beagles because the Humane Society's top priority for this legislation uh, session is the Beagle Bill. Um, So what that would do, that's sponsored by Senator Michael Huff from here in Frederick County. That would uh, basically require uh, labs that test on dogs or cats to maintain lists of where they can adopt out uh, adoptable animals and also uh, basically require them to make an effort to find homes for suitable animals once they're no longer needed for testing. Cool. So I was wondering about this, uh, and probably not the only one. What are they testing on the beagles here in in Maryland? Do you know? I don't have specifics because, unfortunately, it was such a packed room that I couldn't I couldn't uh, ask the owners of the dogs many questions. So mm-hmm. I would love to know that too. That'll be something I probably follow up on at some point. <laughs> but um, yeah, the. The Senate committee hearing, which Kelsey will be covering, is coming up later this later this month. But this is something that was introduced um, last year as well, and it is a pretty popular bill. There's a lot of sponsors um, in the House and in the Senate, but there are also um, very powerful forces who who are against the the legislation. So one of the arguments against it is that it kind of breaks down a curtain between research laboratories and um, animal rights activists and it would um, potentially lead to kind of threats to researchers or that sort of thing the activists themselves would tell them that that's not at all what they're in it for but that's kind of the tension that's the rationale that the opponents of this kind of bill yeah For example, Johns Hopkins, they do testing and they oppose it on the general idea that it would um, limit their ability to do testing. So just on a general philosophical standpoint, they're opposed. Yeah, the more people know about it, the more there might be opposition to allowing the research to continue. I see. And so what happens to the dogs now if they're not being... They're They're put down. (laughs) Sorry, Cameron's face was really sad. (laughs) I'm a big dog fan. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on. Um, there were some there was some movement on some local bills. Kelsey, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, there was a lot of um, there were a lot of bills going to committee and things of that nature. Uh, nothing really show stopping quite yet. Everything is still in process. But uh, one of the ones was um, Delegate Karen Lewis Young brought back her wage history bill. Now this is one that's been around for a little while, and essentially what it does is it prevents employers from asking uh, potential hires what their wage history was. Now, the reasoning behind that is that um, the delegate believes that it would kind of go a long way to help um, to attack the wage gap because if a woman or if a person of color has been earning less their entire life and their employer asks them what their last 
what their last salary was at their job, it would kind of perpetuate a cycle. So that's the the reasoning behind it. And uh, of course, an, an employee could volunteer their last salary, say it was really high, and you want to make sure that the person hiring you knows that that's, you know, what, what you've been getting. You can volunteer that information. Uh, so that went before the committee, and it'll go through that process. That's where it's at right now. It was at the House Economic Matters Committee. This is um, something I wrote about last year as well. Um, Delegate Lewis Young was able to get that through um, the House of Delegates last year. Um, it failed in the Senate. Um, and one of the, um, the opposition to that bill in particular is that one of the um, pieces of opposition is that it would require businesses to reveal trade secrets. They would have to um, uh, kind of be... The bill is different this year and gets rid of part of this, but that employers would have to be a lot more upfront with what they intend to pay somebody. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that could help their opponents, their opponents in business figure out how they're operating. Oh, because I I forgot to mention, that's another piece of it, is that if asked, it would require an employer to give the prospective employee a salary range. So that's kind of what Danielle was talking about. Yeah. Okay, so that sounds like... It could be helpful for <laughs> negotiating yeah. your own salary. I don't know. And it's also, that is um, that is a bit scaled back from the original proposal last year, which would have had you um, include the actual salary that you're willing to pay in the job description. And that, that was met with a lot of opposition. So this is kind of a middle ground on that issue. Okay. And how does the support this year vary compared to last year? Um, if I had to put money on something, I would guess that it would make it out of the same House committee that it made out of, made it out of last year. The vote in the House of Delegates last year was was really strong. Um, I think it passed with 94 people in in support. Okay. So I would imagine it passes with broad support again in the House. What happens in the Senate, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And there were speakers from the business community uh, just saying that, look, we don't want you to restrict our negotiation process here. So there are some people that are definitely not happy with the idea. Okay. Um, Danielle, can you tell us about the governor's press conference this week? Yeah. So the the governor had a press conference and um, he announced that he'd be seeking an education lockbox. And what is that? (laughs) Well, this sounds familiar to listeners of this podcast because earlier this session, um, Democratic leaders in the General Assembly had proposed their own education lockbox. And essentially it is... um, it's a mechanism that would limit the money in a certain fund to be used only for education. Um, so there in the past has been a big debate in the state of Maryland over a transportation lockbox. Um, and basically it says that, you know, when there's a recession or something, you can't start taking money out of education and putting it towards other things just to make the ends meet for the state that you would always have to save this money for education. And specifically the bill, both bills would apply to um, casino revenues and devote all casino revenues um, that are in the education trust fund to education within the state, but that that money would be on top of the state's base level funding for education and not um, supplanting the base level funding so that, you know, there's not actually extra money going towards education. So the Democrats plan would have that go to um, a constitutional amendment, which would tie the hands of all future governors. It also would require it to go to voters um, through a referendum on the November general election ballot. The governor's office, um, his bill would uh, do it through legislation, which doesn't require the 
constitutional amendment, the voters, etc. Also, theoretically, could be undone easier. Okay. And uh, which bill has the most support right now? Um, well, the the Senate president and the Speaker of the House support <laughs> their version of the bill. Nice. So, again, if I had to bet money on something, it'd be the one that's supported by the heads of the chambers. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that would get vetoed, you know, who's to say? I'm not sure. Actually, I don't think you can veto in the last year. I have to double check that. Kelsey, can you give us a quick wrap up of some local bills? Of other local bills. Yeah, one one important one was the um, Frederick County Ethics Bill went through the Senate on Thursday and went before the House on Friday. So what that one does is it will um, tighten up a quote-unquote loophole that allowed attorneys and representatives of developers with uh, pending land use and zoning change applications. Um, it, it prevents them from um, donating to campaigns. So uh, that has been pretty well supported. It, the, the background of it is it's sort of a compromise between ethics bills that uh, County Executive Jan Gardner and Senator Michael Huff had. So this version is supported by the whole delegation. And um, with that going to the House, uh, it got unanimous support in the Senate. I think that'll, I'm guessing that'll sail through pretty pretty easily. So why wouldn't we want them giving money to campaigns? Uh, well, the idea there is we don't want them to have a non-due influence over the uh, the elected leaders. Um, you know, that there's been some complaints about developers' control over Frederick County government. Um, so it seeks to address that. Yeah, it, it basically... It, it, aims to say that um, just because a developer can't give money to a campaign doesn't mean that devel- that the developer can't give money to their attorney to give money to a campaign. Mm-hmm. So um, it kind of tries to take everybody involved in that development process or specific to a development application out of out of the ring in terms of um, campaign finance donations. And this is a bill that, um, as Kelsey alluded to, faced a lot of issues last year um, because it... Um, the, the delegation was divided. There were two different ideas, a Republican idea, a Democratic idea, and they decided to put both versions of the bill forward, and both of them did not go forward last year because there was division in the delegation. This year, um, since it is a delegation bill, there's a kind of um, a rule or a guideline in Annapolis um, called local courtesy, and you generally extend local courtesy to any governments that are unified in their position in changing their local laws. So all of the senators from Prince George's County or Montgomery County or wherever, they aren't going to quibble or vote against um, Frederick County as a unified group trying to change our local ethics law. So it's almost guaranteed to pass. And there's a lot of development going on in Frederick County. Is this something that they've been talking about locally for a while? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly been an issue in the last uh, county campaign. Development money was a huge issue. We saw that in the county executive race. Um, So, yeah, I I would say so. Uh, what else is going on in local bills, Kelsey? Yeah, we have another one from Senator Ron Young that went forward to committee. And this is one that he and his wife, Delegate Lewis Young, are are cross-filing. It would require hospital administrators to give patients a written copy of their patient's Bill of Rights. And um, if, they're, if they can't understand a written copy, they the administrators would have to allow for some other provision to make sure they understand their rights. Um because there are already uh, federally, I believe, federally required patient rights. So what this bill would do would just make sure that they're more accessible. Because I don't know about you, when I've been to the hospital, I didn't know 
that I could ask for information on what those rights were. Um, so this kind of seeks to address that. And uh, in committee, it got the support of everyone that spoke, but um, the one issue is the Maryland Hospital Association spoke up asking for an amendment. And all that would really do is uh, use a different core of rights because the core of rights uh, that are in the bill language are adapted from Johns Hopkins, um, their rights. So the hospital association just asked to use rights uh, established by the Office of Healthcare Quality. So not really huge opposition, just a little shift in focus. And Kelsey, I wanted to ask you about that. So a lot of hospitals already have bills of rights, yeah. correct? And so mm-hmm. this is making sure that they pass them out and that, and then also that your your patient bill of rights would be the same at any hospital you went to? Exactly, in yeah. Okay. What kind of stuff is in the patient bill of rights? It's been a long time since I've been to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good <laughs> thing. Oh, Keep on, it that way. Wood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, some of the things include, let me see if I can actually look at the list I have here because I don't want to speak out of turn. Um, One of them is access to religious uh, spiritual services. One is um, making sure the patient knows that they can file a complaint. Um, You know, the the first one that's in the bill language is compassionate care, regardless of age, gender, race, national origin, religion, sexual orientation, gender identity, or disability. So that just gives you a flavor. It's basically, basically just trying to make sure that Parent, the patients know that they can um, expect to be um, get, get compassionate care and also that they can have access to have someone with them during exams. And that's an important piece for people with uh, mental health disorders that may be uncomfortable or, you know, uh, kind of have anxiety around going through treatments themselves. Sure. Yeah, that sounds important. Um, so there's another bill, uh, the sunscreen bill. What's going on there? <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty straightforward. That's another Young's bill again, both of them. And that went through the um, House Committee, I believe that was uh, Thursday night. Um, so they voted to approve it. And what that does is it says that, um, you know, whatever school district you're in, it'll be statewide that... Um, students can apply sunscreen as needed without a doctor's note because um, apparently there's variation between different <laughs> school districts. Right. The issue, Kelsey, is that I can see Cameron's facial expressions as we're talking. <laughs> so some some schools require their students to have notes from doctors to wear sunscreen before they go? Or yeah, this that? is yeah. correct. Interesting. <laughs> uh, um, are there opponents to the sunscreen bill? Um, not that I've heard of. Um, uh, I mean, it, it sounds like such a straightforward thing. Uh, I haven't heard much opposition to it. Yeah. And the bill picked up one major proponent, uh, this session, as we all know, Governor Larry Hogan, um, you know, had some, uh, cancer cells on in his face and had them removed in a surgical procedure. And when he had a press conference to tell everyone about that health battle that he's having, he brought up this bill and said that he would become the champion of the bill and that he wanted to get it, make sure it got passed. And specifically he attributed, um, some of his, um, skin issues to, um, 
his youth and being out in the sun a lot when he was younger. He's got that powerful sunscreen lobby behind him too. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> yeah. And so I want to flip the script. Cameron, he, uh, he waded into the legislative waters this week and wrote a story for us. So Cameron, could you tell us about your um, feminine hygiene bill? Yeah, I did my own hard hint, hard hitting legislative reporting. <laughs> uh, no, this is actually something I'd been uh, kind of an issue I'd been following for a little bit. Um, it's a proposed bill five Senate Bill five ninety eight, I believe. Um, I forget the actual title of it if it has one, but basically what it would do is require correctional facilities, uh, the Maryland Division of Corrections and County Detention Centers. And any any place where um, accused criminal defendants are, or immigrants are detained in the state of Maryland to have policies uh, require where they would be required to give out adequate supplies of feminine hygiene products at no cost to the inmates. Can you tell me a little bit why there's a bill needed for this? Because I think... Um, you know, the fiscal and policy note kind of indicates that there there is a policy, but I think what you've heard from women is that maybe it's not living up to its potential. Yeah, so the, <laughs> the Division of Corrections um, has a policy of giving each uh, female inmate or any inmate who menstruates, I guess it requires them, uh, 48 sanitary napkins every month. Um, and... You know, there are advocacy groups who say that in their research and the experiences they're told, the stories they're told from women who have been incarcerated in Maryland, that doesn't really seem to be the case for a lot of people. Um, you know, women, I attended one uh, panel discussion at the the library in downtown Frederick a couple months ago uh, where a couple of women spoke about their experiences and they'd say like they would get two uh, pads at a time, two or three pads at a time, and they're really low quality, so you'd have to use them at the same time, um, and then ask for more, request more, and then prison guards, uh, correctional officers might use them as kind of leverage to get you to clean your cell or do other things in ways that can be kind of humiliating for the women who are detained. And um, there's a lot of support for the measure in Annapolis this year. Yeah, there's, uh, I think in the Senate, there's, the I think in both houses, actually, there's the majority of, of uh, delegates and senators um, supporting the bill. Uh, Susan Lee is the senator who's the main sponsor of the Senate version, um, along with our own uh, Frederick County Senator Michael Huff. Um, and in the House, I think they have 66 yeah. co-sponsors. So it's pretty popular. And uh, watching the, I haven't watched the House hearing, the House Judiciary Committee hearing on it, but in the Senate Judiciary Proceedings Committee hearing, uh, it seemed like every most of the people on the committee were on board. I really messed this all up by asking questions. I'm sorry. Oh, so yeah. Kelsey, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you went to the county delegation meeting this morning, right? Yes. Yeah. Tell us what happened. <laughs> okay. Um, well, it's tourism day here in Annapolis. Very exciting. And uh, so the Tourism Council of Frederick County came by and generally they were just asking, hey, you know, support the tourism industry. Get us some of them state dollars, please. Um, Some of the interesting things they presented were a little fact sheet about tourism in Frederick County. So here's some fun highlights. Uh, So in 2010, tourism industry sales in the county were 288 uh, million. And that has gone up in 2016 to 395 million. And what would you think that most tourists spend their money on? This was kind of interesting to me. I think like a meal. Is it alcohol? 
You both are right. You both are right. Twenty seven. Wine and the tourists here in Frederick County. Yeah, twenty seven point eight percent of those dollars went to food and beverage. So, oh, oh, and this is the other factoid I wanted to share from that. Um, the most international site visitors came from Canada, United Kingdom, Brazil, India, Germany, and the Philippines. Yeah. So, but uh, right, we're, dis- we're world famous. Yeah, all, all worldwide, worldwide, and uh, but. One, the most interesting part of that is uh, talking about tourism, kind of got them on the downtown hotel and conference center, and that sparked a little bit of debate uh, surrounding the... You don't say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It always does, right? (laughs) Yeah, so that starts... hotel downtown? (laughs) They're planning one. So it sparked a little debate, uh, the usual debate about public dollars going towards... You know, are they going towards a business? Are they going towards public infrastructure? So um, I will be writing a story about that. That should be running pretty soon, hopefully, to set the record uh, as straight as we can right now. Um, It is a changing project. Um, After the discussion this morning, I talked to Richard Griffin, and he ran some numbers by me. And um, Basically, I'm just trying to see how the city and delegation are working together because there seems to be some confusion about what they would, what the project needs in terms of public dollars versus in the private investment. state money. Yeah, in yeah. terms of state money and what that's going for, towards, excuse me. Um, but the position of... Uh, the city and the position of the Tourism Council, their understanding is that the public money, the state money, will be going towards a public garage. So anyway, that, that's a lot to throw at you all, but I'll be looking into that for a story um, that should be out very, very shortly. All right. And uh, Kelsey, you want to tell us about your political notes column uh, this week? It started off uh, with an interesting discussion uh, or you were describing what sounded like an interesting discussion around guns. It did. Um, so there was a discussion in the wake of the Florida shooting that happened this week uh, that uh, was on the Senate floor during a moment of personal privilege. Senator Victor Ramirez brought it up, you know, basically just saying that he hopes lawmakers can do something about this kind of violence. He talked about how, you know, he's concerned for his own children, sending them to school so basically, uh, that brought up a, a little bit of a discussion that involved uh, Senator Huff again, because he responded to Ramirez's statements um, because he Ramirez had uh, characterized characterized a congressional measure that undid an Obama administration recommendation that people getting Social Security disability checks need to be added to the National Background Check database. So. Basically, Huff stood up and said it was actually, it, it wasn't a, a measure done by President Trump, like Ramirez had characterized, it was it was uh, a congressional decision. And so after that, everyone kind of, not everyone, but after that, a lot of other senators stood up and weighed in. Um, Justin Reddy from yeah. Carroll County was talking about how we need strong communities to stop these things. Senator Dolores Kelly from Baltimore County was... Uh, you know, basically saying that the Second Amendment has been taken out of context and it was really only applied to militias. So, yeah, that, that, that sums up the back and forth. Yeah, so um, moments of personal privilege aren't frequently offered. Um, it, but in this case, um, Senator Ramirez felt like he wanted to talk about 
the act of dropping his child off at school mm-hmm. and he brought up this um, social security disability income and the um, national mental health database issue what that sparked was a response from senator huff who as we all know um, friends of the cast will know um, works on capitol hill for former frederick county um, lawmaker alex mooney who's now a representative from west virginia so huff stood up to kind of clarify his take on on what that policy change was and then as kelsey explained that uh, just sparked an entire debate nobody was up on a moment of personal privilege anymore everyone was kind of just chiming in okay and uh senator ramirez uh he, he said he hoped the legislatures could possibly do something did anyone propose something to do nope or was this all just kind of an abstract discussion <laughs> yeah about? it was all an abstract okay. discussion at this point i did catch up okay. with senator huff after after and asked him that question and um really he didn't he didn't have a good answer it's it's a complex issue um he responded by saying that you know the laws in maryland are restrictive as it is uh which doesn't really get at the question of what can be done to prevent this kind of violence um so yeah it's 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 hard to come up with an answer all right and uh kelsey you want to tell us about fake book yeah (laughs) yeah so this was a little bit of um political back and forth online. Who would have thought that would happen? Um, so let me just run you through what's happening. So Ben's rule is a bill proposed by Delegate David Vote that would let non-communicative children with severe disabilities opt out of standardized testing. So that bill is in House Committee right now, the House Ways and Means Committee, and uh, Delegate Kathy Afzali is the ranking minority member in that committee. So online, there was a newly formed group that put up a, uh, I guess a meme for lack of a better word. It's an image with some text. And it says, shame on Kathy Avzali for putting politics before children with special needs. And in the comments below that, it claims that she uh, voted to kill Ben's rule. And so that sparked some controversy because the bill, which has been up, I think, three or four times. Do you what, what is it, Danielle? I think this is the fourth year. The fourth year. So it's been up all that time and never got a vote. So this incorrect information was going around and, um, you know, F. Sally was a little upset about it. And David Vogt um, weighed in on the comment, just correcting the record that the issue hasn't actually gone to vote at all yet. So she hasn't had a chance to <laughs> kill. Right. Them. She hasn't had a chance <laughs> to <Nice>. kill. <laughs> I did check in with her about it and she said um, she would need more information, more details, but it does sound like something that she would support. And, um, but, uh, you know, just to give the other side of things, I did reach out to Cindy Rose, whose son is the uh, child with a disability who the bill is named after, because I reached out to her because Cindy Rose was sharing the post and commenting. And um, Miss Rose was basically saying that, you know, regardless, she doesn't feel like Delegate Afzali has, has done much with her position to support the bill. So that's, you know. That's kind of the whole issue. Yeah, wh- where does the idea that she would kill this, that Kathy Abzali would kill this bill come from? Just to chime in with the past years, I think I think the issue is that if it's not getting passed and you feel so passionately 
that it's um, a pretty straightforward issue, something has to be happening, right? I think, I think that's where people who are confused about the bill's um, failure to pass that committee, I think that's what they think of, about it. But um, the one thing that Kelsey covered um, in, in a full story about Ben's rule is that um, in order to get federal education funding, you have to provide standardized testing to um, 95%, I believe, of all students, including students in special education. And so when this bill has come up in different iterations, this is the narrowest version that we've seen so far. Um, it has been met with opposition from some education groups because they fear that allowing some number of students to opt out more easily will affect that percentage and could endanger the state's entire uh, federal education funding. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think there's really powerful arguments on both sides of this issue, and it leaves the committee thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they've so never recommended so the, and they, it. And I don't believe, I don't, I'm not sure if they voted it down either. I think it's kind of um, just just lingered in sat legislative quietly. limbo. In, in a drawer, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, well, Danielle, it sounds like Senator Chris Van Hollen has a new job. Uh, Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, Chris Van Hollen was sworn in this week as a member of the Frederick Douglass Bicentennial Commission. And um, the swearing-in ceremony was on Wednesday night. That was the 200th anniversary of Douglass's birth. Um, we all know Frederick Douglass was born into slavery in Talbot County. And the city's named after him? Yes. <laughs> the city's is the city named after him? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was born into slavery uh, in Talbot County, escaped um, slavery in Maryland, um, all the way to Great Britain, and returned once um, his freedom was paid for him, and um, obviously settled into a life of advocacy and really impressive uh, work after that. So um, Senator Van Hollen sponsored legislation that creates a bicentennial commission to celebrate his life, and it is uh, only the 16th commemorative commission created by Congress since 1989. Um, six of those commemorated specific people, and none of them were African American until now. Oh, nice. And so what's this commission going to do? So this commission is going to work to um, have us uh, have a celebration of Frederick Douglass's life uh, kind of on a national level, bring together um, different resources and such this year. All right. So uh, as we wrap things up, uh, Danielle and Kelsey, you want to tell us what we can look forward to next week? Uh, yeah, next week there is going to be a lot going on. Um, I'll just give you some quick highlights. Won't go into everything just yet. Um, the Forest Conversa Conservation uh, Bill will be going up to committee, and um, the Chesapeake Bay Foundation is going to, uh, I guess you could call it a rally. They're going to have some kind of to-do uh, in support of that bill. And um, I don't have all the facts about it in front of me, but generally speaking, it would um, adjust the amount or is it the amount? It, it would change the requirements in terms of the, the, the forest that you have to set aside when doing a development. I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. I don't know if there's do you need to correct me, Danielle? Or <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Basically, it's a it's it's a it's an extremely wonky bill. It's super hard to read because it puts uh, like it puts mathematic equations into you get, words. Like, yeah. Per yeah, and but basically, it's just the rules for how much you have to reforest mm -hmm. or aforest, create new forests uh, when you build houses in the state of Maryland. Okay, and so uh, what kind of changes they're trying to make to 
the rules about this? My understanding is to to either impose a calculation or reconfigure the calculation for reforestation. Um, But I also wanted to mention on Friday, uh, next week there's a lot of stuff going on with beer. Everybody's favorite topic. Happy so, <laughs> hour. Yeah. So on Friday, um, there's a whole bunch of uh, beer legislation going to committee, and um, some of it is sponsored by our own Senator Ron Young, so I'll be paying close attention to that. And it's such a hot topic, this uh, session with, you know, Comptroller Peter Francho trying to do his reform on tap, and then there being these other bills floating around. So that'll be another big one to watch. Yeah, I know there will be a lot of eager people watching from Frederick County, the <laughs> East Coast capital of craft brew beer. That's right. <laughs> um, and then one other thing to look forward to next week, I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot in the podcast, is new approval ratings for Governor Hogan will be coming out next week. So uh, How's all it eyes, all, <laughs> well, I don't know them yet, but all eyes are certainly on that, uh, it being an election year. So he's maintained really strong approval levels, you know, a, a red governor in a deep blue state for, for years and years. Um a lot of his detractors, a lot of Democrats have said in the past that's because you're kind of measuring him against some unknown Democratic opponent. Well, we now know the Democratic opponent. So what is what do his approval numbers look like now? It'll be really interesting to see. All right. And we'll be eagerly awaiting those. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us on In Session. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks for doing this, Cameron. Yeah, thanks, Kelsey.